The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. The world economy, every economy, will suffer if ships keep coming under attack in this illegal and unacceptable way. And these attacks need to stop or actions will be taken. That was Britain's Foreign Minister David Cameron talking earlier this month about the impact of attacks in the Red Sea, which are driving up freight costs and risk eating into company margins. But what can governments and companies do to alleviate these risks? Stay tuned for this week's Views Room. Welcome back to the Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. The Red Sea is a source of a lot of tension far beyond the Middle East. Attacks on tankers carrying goods like toys, fast fashion items and even pharmaceuticals risk resurrecting supply chain issues for companies. It's a complicated situation with many different players. So here to talk us through it is Francesco Guerrera, Breaking Views Global Economics Editor, and Yawen Chen, their columnist that has been looking closely at this issue. So welcome, Francesco and Yawen. Hi, Amy. Hi, thanks for having us. So, Yawen, you've written quite a bit about this situation and been looking at it. I mean, it's almost daily we're getting um, stories about what's going on in the Red Sea. Could you just, if we could just take a step back, what is what started this whole situation in the Red Sea? And what are what is what is, I guess what is the problems with global trade that we're seeing there? Yes, thank you. Um, I I think it's a it's it's something that really surprised everyone because it started off as you know the the broader background is the Israel Gaza conflict, right? And we all know that there are those global choke points. You have the Straits of Hormuz, where forty percent of oil goes through, and now you have the Swiss Canal, which sits in the Red Sea, um, and you have thirty percent of container trade going through, and twelve percent of global trade passes through daily. So it's like it, it and, and you have um, Yemen's Houthis, which is this militant group that is backed by Iran, um, that suddenly jumped out and said, you know, we want to make an example of how supporting Israel will have consequences. And and they started to have missile attacks, um, hijacking uh, attempts on container ships that are quite akin to a terrorist attack, according to some of the shipping sources I talked to. And it's something quite unprecedented for the industry because they've seen pirates, you know, trying to hijack in the past, but it's not in such a randomly done um, way with a political motive. Um, We've seen, you know, the U.S. leading an effort to parole the area. Some of the warships from India and other countries have come through. Um, unfortunately, that has really not deterred the random attacks on um, ships owned by companies from Mass to um, Hapaloid, and they have uh, they have had to make difficult posi- uh, decision to um, indefinitely that reroute through Africa, which um, will take at most like 15 days to some of the routes like Asia to Europe, um, and that's really. I think that's really causing the the kind of instability we don't need in this macro environment when the economy is weakening, which I think Francesco will uh, shed more light on. 
Because, yes, Francesco, I was going to say, just kind of bring you into this. I mean, the sort of the backdrop to this is we obviously saw companies have supply chain issues in the pandemic. This was sort of the last time that we saw kind of difficulties. Obviously, it was very different. There were boats unable to dock because there was too few staff in ports or there was, you know, you know, there was infections of COVID. I mean, how how should we sort of see this in, in that context, as in the sort of the supply chain issues that we saw back in the pandemic versus today? It's very similar in context. I mean, it's quite an interesting uh, story, an extraordinary story, if you think about it, because we, we tend to think of the macroeconomy and the global economy as a very sophisticated uh, machine uh, that operates in virtual uh, on virtual networks where technology plays a major part. And yet this is such a such a low tech a threat to the global economy, right? We, as Yawin explained so well, these are pirates, essentially, who are very aggressive pirates and attack randomly. And because of the way, uh, in particular, oil, but all goods uh, are uh, com- commerce around the world, uh, this is a huge issue for the global economy at the moment. Now, on the, on the good point is at the moment, we are not seeing yet the inflationary pressures deriving from this that we had seen during COVID. As you remember, the global supply chains in COVID essentially got stuck, and that caused a huge uh, spike in prices that lasted for a very long time, and it was a major reason for the huge inflationary spike that we saw in, in all um, Western economies and, and, and some emerging markets over that period. So at the moment, we're not seeing that yet. And I say yet because it's a question of time and it's a question of volume, right? Uh, it's, it will take time for any of these to filter through the global inflation numbers, and of course, the um, uh, this has not been going on for that long. And we also don't know just how many goods and how how many routes this will affect, right? And so we will have to see whether it only affects oil or whether, for example, some of the retail supply chains get affected, whether some of the the the, the trade routes that bring essentially low-cost goods from the emerging markets to the West will be affected and whether that will, will then have an impact on inflation. Um, overall, uh, economists are quite optimistic at the moment. They're quite sanguine about this. They say that even if this lasts for a very long time, it will add less than one percentage point to global inflation, which is in any case decelerating. So it's not a big threat at the moment, but it's such a potential to be a, a threat. I, I want to echo that by adding, um, you know, there there's several factors that are that make it very different from 2021, and one of them is the amount of overinvestment the shipping industry had done over COVID because they've seen profit margin of like 30, 40%, whereas normally you get 10% um, in a good year. So so they've invested in more ships uh, and a lot of that capacity is coming online. In fact, last year, um, the shipping industry has already been operating on a lot of idle fleets. I think it was 4% of the overall capacity. Um, So this is a helpful boost to freight rates to their bottom line. Um, but at the same time, I I, I think we, we need to, you know, pay close attention to port congestions, see if there, there are any kind of uh, supply chain disruption in the sense of that some of the goods will take much longer to arrive. Um, it will disrupt, you know, the order books because we're actually at the peak season before Chinese New Year, uh, Lunar sorry, before Lunar New Year, which is in um, mid-February. So I think factories in China, for example, are trying to ship as many things out as possible for some of the lower value goods, um, which are, it's kind of impossible to 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 ship them um, without having a loss on, you know, planes or uh, even the China-Europe railway trains. So I think in that front, we, that's why we've seen freight rates doubling from the December level. Um, but it's nowhere close to 
for example, in 2021, when the Taiwanese evergreen, sorry, ever even um, uh, had a blockage in Swiss Canal, I think some of the uh, shipping routes like the Asia to North America route where you saw freight rate jump tenfold to like $20,000. That hasn't happened yet. Um, and you can see also that being reflected in the share price of some of the shipping companies. It's been up and down um, whenever, it's kind of funny, like whenever you see reports about, oh, they might be returning back to the Red Sea, um, you actually see, you know, the stock price having a reaction negatively about it because they, they would then assume that the current situation will ease and the, the freight rates will drop. So, I mean, I was curious about that, Yawan, about the idea of the, this helping their bottom line, right? Because, I mean, it's an extra, I think you said, 15 days that it's going to take to go around um, Africa rather than go through the Red Sea. Um, so you have to assume then that that companies are willing to accept those higher freight rates, right? So they're even though their margins are very tight, that they're going to continue is that is that sort of the thinking of investors is that you know the, there is obviously volatility but overall they see this as a as a sort of positive for the for the shipping sector yeah i think for shipping companies they're able to pass on the costs um partly because they're protected by the force majeure um contractual clauses and partly because i think yeah they <laughs> if if shipping costs is increased by like 1 billion dollars per uh, vessel and you're able to have freight rates that's doubling or tripling, you're still probably making a profit um, because those shipping companies are very heavily influenced by freight rates. Um, and I think they're also fortunate in the sense that January is usually uh, the time, the beginning of the year when long-term contracts are negotiated. So um, spiking spot rates are kind of factored into the to the uh to the you know long-term annual contractual rates at the moment but at the same time there's a spread between them so which means that spot prices are still much higher than the annual contract prices so that also tells you the market is expecting a milder um effect in the longer term um but that that is not to say it won't last for months it could last for a long time given the kind of terrorism we see at the red sea at the moment I was just going to say, I mean, Francesco, do you get the sense that there is there is any end to what we're seeing now or hope that there might be? Or is this the sort of new normal that, you know, you know, economies and companies need to navigate? Yeah, it, it was well, interesting what Yavin was saying, because if you follow this through from from the production of the goods to the delivery of the goods to the uh, sale of the goods, you, what you see from a macroeconomic perspective is a clash of two different types of uh, economic dynamics. One is the one that Yawen just described, which in economics terms is like a very inelastic demand. So the customers, the shipping companies will take any price they will charge and within reason for a while anyway, to this, because they really need these goods on the other end. On the other hand, if they try to pass this type of price increases to the end consumer, the end consumer, and we've seen this uh, repeatedly during the cost of living crisis in the West, can choose not to buy them at that price. And so they have a problem in the end that the, the, the producers, the people who make these goods and sell these goods and the retailers get squeezed in the middle. So that's why we'll have to see whether this really feeds into inflation, whether these producers have the courage, if you like, to push through these price increases. In the long term, 
in the long term, this is going to exacerbate the trend that we have seen since the pandemic and since the geopolitical fra fractures of the past few years, which is towards near shoring and French shoring, right? So French shoring being the one where you're trying to produce things in uh, countries that are supposed to be aligned with you geopolitically. This is less important here, but, but near shoring, so countries which are closer to the to the, to the end point for the goods, um, that's something that could could happen more quickly. The problem is it takes ages to produce to create the factories that that would replace the ones that are at the moment in the in in, in Asia and Southeast Asia, uh, and also it, it's not without cost, right? It's more expensive to produce something in in, in say Mexico than in Vietnam, and so that those are the issues that uh, all these uh, manufacturers will face. Uh, but and 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 event like this will exacerbate their trend that will increase the urgency to uh, to nearshore. So either you're going to pay a freight company uh, the extra costs or you're going to invest to try and build a factory in Mexico, which obviously will take time. And as you said, extra costs. So it looks like either way, companies are going to have to spend more money amid this situation. That said, though, we have to always take the possibility that there is a more concerted effort internationally to deploy more warships into the area um, to stop this from, you know, expanding more, you know, sustaining for longer. Um, but but the upshot, I think even masks come out and said today that they expect this to last for quite a few months. Yeah. And that's the issue, isn't it? Uh, you know, and, uh, and Amy, I mean, this is the issue. If it lasts for a few months, then we'll start to see the crystallization of all these these trends we just talked about, and and then is where I think the manufacturers will stuff and the retailers to an extent will start feeling the pinch. Um, it's interesting, as an aside, that you know, in this kind of free market economy, uh, the answer in this case is government military intervention, right? <laughs> That's like it's governments that, and therefore taxpayers have to pay to defend these trade routes. Um, because, you know, the private sector is unable to do so, right? It's very interesting. Very interesting. Well, yeah, and Francesco, thank you so much for your time today. Fascinating stuff. And with no end in sight, I'm sure we'll be talking about it again. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on BreakingViews.com and on X, where our handle is at BreakingViews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover to the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.